Hey, how's it going everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 68 of the Essential X Lapsed, where, uh, well, we got us a, we got us an issue today. Um, I'd say it's a doozy, um, but I'm not sure I can convey the proper amount of sarcasm into a word like doozy as uh, would be required to properly <laughs> describe the kind of book we're getting today. It's, it's not a great one. It's really not a great one, and uh, it feels like kind of a step backwards for the X-Men here. As we got around, you know, issue 50, things seem to really be... I mean, these aren't, you know, fantastic stories by any stretch of the imagination, but they are a marked improvement on what we had gotten in the, you know, issues leading up to it. Here, though, eh, we're kind of we're kinda taking a step back. This issue is kind of like if the Juggernaut story from X-Men 46 and the Cyclops and Jean Grey story from X-Men number 48, if they had a baby, it would be this issue. Not only is this kind of a circular story, but it also features a, uh, a baddie who had only appeared in two issues of Fantastic Four before, uh, before this very issue. So, um, yeah, this isn't going to be... Uh, this isn't going to be an all-time classic here, and you, you can almost tell it from the cover. And of course, we're not supposed to judge books by their cover, but mm, this is not a great one. We'll get into it. Let's uh, let's let's quit with the vamping and hop on into our discussion here. This is X Men number fifty-three from February nineteen sixty-nine cover date. Uh, the story is called "The Rage of Blastar," written by Arnold Drake with pencils, believe it or not, and. Um, you know, not to say that this person doesn't have a storied career, but when you see this work, you're never going to guess that this is Barry Windsor Smith. Because this work... It, well, it's not his Weapon X work. It's... Yeah, it's something. Um, inks, Michael D. Letters, Herb Koopa. Edit, Stan Lee. Cover price, 12 cents. And like I said, the cover here, right out the gate... Um, it's a very weak cover. We got Blastar front and center, and he's laying a pounding on the X-Men. And it feels, you know, the story, the issue in Toto feels like a big step back, but the cover does as well. Um, it's something that I don't think it would jump off the shelf at you. Even if you're looking at the issues now, it's going to just be, you're going to glaze over it. I can almost guarantee it. Unless you're, right. I mean, maybe you are a huge Blastar fan. That That is always a possibility. Anyway, let's get on in here. We open in the Negative Zone, where Blastar has been deposited following his first run-in with the Fantastic Four. As mentioned, he's only ever fought the Fantastic Four, and just like Quasimodo before him, who we met, of course, in issue 48, Blastar only appeared twice before this, and again, both times, fighting the Fantastic Four. His first appearance was Fantastic Four number 62, May 1967 cover date, and he would also appear in the very next issue of that book. Anyway... Blastar bounces around the negative zone, being ridiculously verbose, uh, while vowing to somehow return to the world he'd been booted from. And seriously, it cannot be overstated here. Uh, Blastar really likes to <laughs> likes to hear the sound of his own voice almost as much as I do. Now, lucky for him, at this very same moment, the X-Men are hard at work mucking about with some of the professor's old tech. And uh, this piece of tech is called the Mind Machine. Marvel Girl is all hooked up. We got Kirby Crackle surrounding her bouffant. Beast posits that, should whatever the hell they're trying to do actually work, 
that Jean should be able to mentally transmute her own matter into radio energy, uh, which would thereby, in theory, give her the ability to, quote, radio her very essence into deepest space. You may be asking yourself, why? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. So, so we have two questions here. The first one, of course, is why. The second one is, what could possibly go wrong here? Well, it won't take us too long to find out, uh, because just moments later, the Kirby crackle intensifies, rendering Jean all a tingle. The sort of tingle you usually have to pay some good money for. Now, the circuits overload explode the mind machine into Lego pieces while Jean is thrown to the floor. At least I think it's the floor. Uh, the background has been completely overcome with the crackle dots here. It's, uh, they could be in the middle of a field, they could be in the middle of the Oval Office, I, I don't know where they are. Now, even though the mind machine has gone boom, it's still, for lack of a better term, technically on. As in, it's still running, and can't be shut off. Now, Beast, try as he may, which is to say he reaches into the dots trying to grab them, he attempts to shut the machine down, but, uh, as I mentioned, he cannot. Now, for whatever reason, uh, this mind-machine malfunction facilitates Blastar's return to our mortal coil. Not two panels later does our big bad materialize right there in Professor Xavier's lab. Now, he immediately zaps Hank with his... I guess fist beams, whatever they are. Uh, Gene fires off a telepathic message in order to alert Bobby and Warren that they are currently in uh, heaps of danger. And so they rush to the lab as well. It's uh, perhaps worth noting that Barry Smith's angel is even goofier looking than everybody else's at this point in time. Um, he's got like a domino mask. Uh, it's pretty bizarre looking. Doesn't much matter though, because Blastar swats him so hard it causes his hair to both change color and grow out a few inches. Other than that, there really isn't much more to say about this scene. It's, it's a fight scene. And, I mean, it's becoming a meme here, and stop me if you heard this one before. It's basically the same fight scene we see in every single issue of the X-Men. Uh, I mean, this could just as easily be the exact battle they had with the Juggernaut back in issue 46, minus the weird continuity errors in that book. Now, after getting pounded for a bit, Jean pulls Bobby aside and asks him to whip up some ice mannequins, which she will telekinetically control and sick on Blastar. And so he does. Now, this isn't all that successful, unfortunately. However, it does provide us with a panel of Blastar backdrop suplexing an ice golem, which was pretty cool. Oh, and speaking of Iceman, there's also a bit here where he uses the, uh, quote, frozen oxygen around his hands, kind of like smelling salts, in order to rouse Hank from KO land. And I guess that is pretty interesting. I wonder if we'll ever see that again. I honestly can't remember. Anyway, the fight goes on for another six or seven dozen pages until Blastar wanders somewhere nearby the machine that brought him here in the first place. It reactivates due to one of the melted ice golems dripping on it or something. And it winds up draining him of his life energy. Blastar slumps to the ground, dead. Gene feels awful seeing another or any living creature die. And Bobby's all, hey, you know, it's either him or us, lady. And, uh, well, that's, uh... That's where we leave it. Um, our next issue blurb for the second month running is uh, advertising a story called Cyclops Wanted, Dead or Alive. So um, I guess we'll have to wait and see if it actually comes comes true this time. <laughs> I wouldn't bet money on it, but uh, we will. 
we will see. And I tell you, this might be the quickest we've ever gotten through an issue of these uh, Silver Ages here. Really not much going on, not much to talk about. Um, Blastar was the, you know, monster of the month. He came in from the negative zone and, uh, well, it looks like he died. Of course we know he, he didn't, or maybe you don't know, but uh, I guess, spoiler alert, he, he will be back eventually. Not not really messing with the X-Men so much as the Fantastic Four and probably, like, the Silver Surfer and stuff, but uh, for all intents and purposes for uh, we X-Fans, he's, uh, he's gonzo for now. Uh, let's get into our backup story, which, um, <laughs> for the first month ever, might actually be more interesting than the lead story. Uh, it, it's like a... It's a race to the bottom here, for sure. But um, let's see. We got Welcome to the Club Beast. Written by Arnold Drake with pencils by Werner Roth. Inks John Tortaglioni. Letters Gene Izzo. Edits Stan Lee. Now, we open. We pick up like right where we left off. Hank is KO'd while El Conquistador and Chico admire the nuke... Um, wait, no. Now, it's a solar generator now that Hank had procured for them last chapter. Maybe they decided it being a nuke was a little too spicy? I don't know. Uh, also, with young Henry in K.O. land, um, it's too bad that Bobby ain't around with some of that frozen oxygen, right? Anyway, Hank eventually wakes up and he tries to fight the baddie, and this does not go all that well for him. Lucky for him, however, Cyclops, Angel, and Iceman have arrived on the scene. Bobby erects an ice shield before engaging with Iceman Protocol A, which is, of course, encasing the bad guys in ice. During the fight, the solar generator gimmick begins to overheat and eventually explodes. The X-Men plus Hank make it out okay, though it would appear that El Conquistador wasn't so lucky. The thing literally exploded all over his face. And, of course, I'm talking about the solar generator and not Ben Grimm. Uh, we wrap up back at the McCoy house, where Hank has already donned his X-Men togs. He's already in uniform, how about that? Uh, Xavier clearly states that he mind-wiped the entire town of, his, of you know, Hank's existence here, and I would take that as Stan and the gang explicitly trying to get ahead of the letter hacks on this one. We heard some complaints about the ambiguity about uh, Iceman's, um, the mind-wipe having to do with Iceman's origin, so that's where we leave it, and thankfully... Well, this looks like the end of the Beast origin story, um, but it's not the end of our backups, because next time out, yes, we're finally getting the origin of the Angel. Joy. Well, I am glad that is over. Um, uh, spoiler alert, I have read, you know, the first part of the Angel backup, and um, quite honestly, it's probably the most interesting so far. I mean, it's the last one out of the guys anyway, but... um. And at least judging from the first chapter, might be the best one we get. We'll have to wait and see uh, as we get through it. I don't. For all I know, it could be thirteen parts. <laughs> you know, I'm hoping it's like three, maybe. But uh, Lord only knows. We'll get there when we get there. Uh, the weird thing about these backups is, um, it's almost inspiring me to to pull out the uh, the Joe Casey, Steve Rude. And whoever filled in for Steve Rude, uh, Children of the Atom miniseries from the turn of the century, or right before the turn of the century, I think it was like 1998, probably. Though it did take until like halfway through the Obama administration to finally finish coming. No, that's an exaggeration. It did take forever to come out, though. That thing was delayed pretty crazy for, uh, for a miniseries. Uh, very, very bizarre. But I'm almost tempted to pull that out and try to... Uh, Maybe see if they took any liberties with these original stories, or if it was a, uh, if it was a, you know, a 
I, I don't know if it'd be a one-to-one retelling, but uh, maybe just a modernized retelling of, uh, of these weird and uh, somewhat painful backup stories. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how uh, how my schedule looks in the uh, coming days and weeks here. Maybe we'll give them a goo and see what's uh, see what's what. But uh, those are our stories. Uh, how about we hop into our back matter here? This is going to be a very, very quick visit this time out. Um, we're getting into the mutant mailbox now with Stan Replies. He's back. He is back replying to letters here. And let's start with Maria in Omaha. Now, Maria thinks it's unfair that Magneto was brought back to life at the end of X-Men 50, where the uh, poor professor remains dead. Uh, They throw Stan's own line back in his face about, you know, quote, dead staying dead, to which I have to offer the invitation to Maria to join us in current year, won't you? Come, join us. You're gonna hate it. Um, Stan says uh, if there were any feasible way to bring back the professor, they would. But alas, there ain't. So we're, we're never, ever going to see the Professor again. He also says that with Xavier's uh, death, we did see a lifeless body, which is not wrong. We did see a lifeless body. With Magneto's death, all we saw was him plunging into the sea. So his death was never actually confirmed, so uh, shove it. Next up, Wayne in Seattle, who loved the Jim Steranko cover of X-Men number 50. And yeah, that's a goodie. I liked it too. Also loved the two-page spread of the Mutant City, which, yeah, I didn't mention it, but I like that one too. Also digs the new X-Men logo. He's glad that the X-Men are a team again, and he hopes that Lorna sticks around as a member of the crew. Well, don't hold your breath on that one. Stan says they brought the team back together after receiving, quote, a zillion letters, unquote, telling them they made a giant mistake by splitting them up in the first place. Which, of course, ignores the cherry-picked letters from a few issues back that were heralding the great new era of the split-up X-Men that we were currently in. David in Jacksonville says issue 50 was one of the best ever, and he just loves him some Steranko. And like I've been saying over the past couple of episodes here, I feel like, uh, you know, old curmudgeon Gary Groth from the Comics Journal, when everybody was, like, flipping, flipping their crap over Frank Miller, and he just didn't get it. Um, Storanko's good, but really, the amount of praise we're seeing heaped upon him, at least for his X-Men stint here, feels a little bit overblown. And I mean, I can't put myself into the uh, shoes of a reader back in the day, and and I would never want to compare Storanko to, like, a Liefeld, you know? But I wonder if this is the case of just Storanko being a little bit different than, you know, the standard uh, Werner Roth, uh, Don Heck, all the... I hate to use a, 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 a term like interchangeable, but a lot of the Marvel bullpen, uh, you know, it, it was a, there, were a, there was a lot of... Uh, there was a house style, we'll say. There was a house style, and Sterenko really didn't fit into that mold, so good, bad, or indifferent, it was, it was different. You know, it was something novel. It was something um, that might get your attention. So maybe... Maybe that's why so many people are kind of losing their minds over uh, over old jaunty Jim. Anyway, Stan says that Storenko's now working full-time over on Captain America, and he makes sure to give a little bit of credit to Don Heck and Warner Roth for their tireless work on the flailing X-Men book. Doug in Seattle. We're in Seattle a lot today, aren't we? Uh, the first thing Doug does is he, he thanks Jim Storenko for penciling issue 50. I mean, good grief, dude. He didn't do, out of the, do it out of the kindness of his heart here. He got paid for it. <laughs> Come on. Uh, he claims that uh, Jim Storenko's work lent an air of, quote, sophistication and maturity to the book. 
And yeah, you know, Lorna exiting a mutant machine looking like the world's greatest cosplayer was the very peak of sophistication. Uh, Stan just says thanks. Next up, we have a... Well, we have a man whose uh, very remains are only a few feet away from me right now. And those are, of course, the ashes of Mark Gruenwald, which were mixed in for the first print of the Squadron Supreme graphic novel. So, Mark Gruenwald, he's writing in from Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And he's writing in about issue number 49. He says he's happy that the old X-Men logo is back, rather than the, you know, X-Men featuring yada 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 deal. He really dug the Storanko cover and does not kvetch at all about the Beast wearing yellow gloves. But this is all he really has to say about the issue. Thanks for writing. He does continue. He likes the uh, new individualized costumes, but thinks they ran out of ideas when they created Angel and Beasts. He says he wants Warren to be in yellow and purple, which sounds rather heinous. It Wasn't that what like, uh, Steve Rogers wore as Nomad? Wasn't like that yellow and purple? Oh, I could be remembering that wrong. Um, Mark then gets, um, he gets scientific with us here. He suggests that Angel shouldn't be able to fly with his wings. He says that Wari's wings are, are probably five and a half feet each, and claims that, scientifically speaking, an 11-foot wingspan should not be able to aerodynamically support a grown-ass human man. Mark, Mark, come on. What's next, pal? You gonna you gonna try to tell us that you you know eyes shouldn't be able to fire beams, which are only kept at bay due to ruby quartz? I mean, are we gonna get scientific with that? Anyway, Mark says that Angel's powers of flight are likely just like Jean's powers of levitation, which I mean, Jean's powers of levica levitation are totally believable and scientifically provable. So um, I guess we'll go with that. Uh, Stan replies saying that he hopes Mark likes the new X-Men logo and says that he and the gang are going to bury their heads in a copy of the Autobahn's Birds of America in order to edumacate themselves. Next up, we got Craig in Minneapolis who says that X-Men 50 had the best cover ever for an X-Men comic, which isn't saying much but isn't wrong either. He says Arnold Drake is improving but hates that he brought back Magneto. He... he loves the Beast backup? I'll get the hell out of here. He suggests that Marvel will soon be the number one and number two comic mag company in the world, pushing brand ugh down a peg to third place. Now Stan jokes that he doesn't even remember what company brand ugh was a reference to in the first place, which... Uh, sick burn, I guess. Oh, we got Ray Thomas in Massachusetts. Not Roy Thomas, this is Ray Thomas. Who suggests that, uh, well, since when Xavier formed the X-Men, he also formed a school for mutants that there should be new mutants added to that book. Huh. I mean, if that ever came to be, I wonder what they might call such a book. A book about new mutants. Huh. Anyway, Ray, uh, well, he's not talking about no cannonballs or moonstars. He, uh, he's actually just suggesting that Banshee join the crew. Uh, Stan assures us that there will be new mutants, and he also comments on how Banshee is currently one of the most popular guest stars in X-Men history, which... I mean, that's a, that's a long list, so for Banshee to be atop it, that, yeah, that, well, that means nothing. I mean, who's number two, Fred Duncan or Amos Duncan? Uh, who knows? Uh, well, that is our letters page, my friends. Let's hop into the other half of our back matter here with the bullpen bulletins, also known as the brilliant bits of blockbusting bombast straight from your blushing bullpen. This is not a uh, item-related uh, bullpen bulletin. This is a did-you-know one. So we got a bunch of did-you-knows. Starting with, 
Did you know? Roy Thomas wrote The Wedding of Jan and Hank, uh, this is in The Avengers, of course, while he was on his own honeymoon, which I'm sure his blushing bride just loved. Did you know that Marie Severin's putting in the work? Marie penciled Submariner covering for John Buscema, freeing him up for Avengers and Silver Surfer. And she also draws, quote, side-splitting covers for Not Brand Ugh. Well, as long as she ain't taking credit for anything that's inside Not Brand Ugh, I think you're okay. Did you know that everybody's talking about the latest English export? Barry Windsor Smith? Though uh, today's issue wasn't much to write home about. Uh, now, Stan claims that BWS combines the power of Jack Kirby with the improv of Jim Steranko, and says he'll be doing some work on the S.H.I.E.L.D. title very, very soon. Did you know that Dick Ayers is on a break from Sergeant Fury and Captain Savage, shifting over to a stint on Captain Marvel? Don Heck will be filling in on the war books. Did you know that Marvel's getting great lip service in the international press? Stan says that newspapers and magazines all throughout Canada, France, England, Italy, Mexico, and every other literary-minded country in the free world are currently singing Marvel's praises. We got a Did You Know Lightning Round. This is a rapid-fire edition here. Did you know Werner Roth was once Marvel's top Western and romance artist? Did you know Inker George Klein is one of America's top watercolor artists? And so is Mori uh, Kuramoto. Okay. Did you know that Linda Fight, one of Stan's new flows, jots down jokes and comments on the fan mail for Stan to guffaw at? Did you know that another new flow, Robin Green, has been replaced by newlywed Gene Thomas, who I'm sure earned that gig fair and square? Really should have just given the actual flow the extra five bucks a week, Stan. Come on, let's be real. Uh, did you know Howard Purcell is working on Silver Surfer, which is evidently the greatest accomplishment in comics publishing history since Fantastic Four number one? Stan Soapbox. Now, Stan says he gets uh, one question more than any other, and uh, that question is, where does Marvel get its ideas? To which Stan writes a whole heck of a lot without actually saying much. He uh, basically says that the bullpenners talk, and ideas just kind of happen. Fair enough. It's all about that creative synergy. I, I can I can agree with that. I think that's a, there's a lot to that, which unfortunately doesn't really sound like advice. But what are you going to do? Let's hop into the mighty Marvel checklist here. Uh, Fantastic Four number 84 has the return of Doctor Doom and a guest appearance by Nick Fury. Spider-Man number 70, The Kingpin Escapes. Avengers number 61, guest starring Doctor Strange and the Black Knight. Daredevil number 49, DD might not survive the mad machine created to kill him. That stands to reason, right? If it's a machine created to kill him, it would probably want to kill him. Thor number 161 has Thor vs. Galactus. Captain America 111, Cap and Rick battle a deadly horde, and it's uh, called a Lee Storenko triumph. Hulk 113 vs. the Sandman. Iron Man 11, unmasked by the Mandarin. Again. Submariner 11, Namor versus Captain Barracuda, or actually it's Captain Barracuda, like Captain Crunch, not like Captain America, I guess. Uh, speaking of captains, Captain Marvel number 11. We have a more powerful Marvel and the entity known as Zot. Probably not that Zot, thankfully. Shield number 10 promises to be a Yuletide blockbuster. Doctor Strange 178 has him teaming with the Black Knight. Uh, not sure if this ties in with that Avengers issue we just talked about a second ago. Sergeant Fury number 63 is one of World War II's most offbeat sagas. 
Captain Savage number 11 features the death of a leatherneck raider and also features the Howlers. Marvel Superheroes number 19 features a brand new Kazar story. Marvel Tales 19 are reprints. And finally, Millie the Model number 168, to which Stan says here he has not the flippin' foggiest idea why this mag sells as well as it does. I might suggest that it's easier to get your hands on a copy of Millie the Model than Playboy. I, I don't know. Uh, still on sale, we got a few uh, you know, hangers on from last month here. We got Silver Surfer 4, Not Brand Ugh, number 12, Collector's Item Classics 19, Rawhide Kid 68, and finally, the Mighty Marvel Western number 3. Boy, oh boy, what a what a weird issue from soup to nuts here. <laughs> very, very strange. Still had heaps of fun talking about it, and I hope uh, you all had uh, as much fun hearing me talk about it. I... I, I can't imagine, but um, in any event here, uh, this is where we will part company for the day. Uh, if anybody wants to get a hold of me, you know how to do so. Uh, Weird Comics History at Gmail, Ace Comics on Twitter, Xlapsed on Facebook, uh, this pro- oh, Chris is on InfiniteEarths.com, ChrisandReggie.Podbean.com, all those places where I usually, um, well, where I am sometimes, I guess. But that's going to do it. I'd like to thank you all so much for choosing to spend a little bit of your day with me today. And until next time, as always... I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.